that's about it. Any exciting plans the rest of your day? Oh gosh, I'm gonna go do a group project. <laughs> that is exciting to someone probably, but definitely not me though. Could not be me. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brad. Where are you calling from? From Virginia. Uh, I'm calling from Indiana. You're calling from Washington, right? I am. Awesome. And wherever you are, welcome to Blonde Radio. Hi, I'm Brad. I live on the west coast of Canada. I really appreciate the feeling of the wind this past week, and I'm getting back into Minecraft maybe a little too much. And welcome to Blonde Radio, where every week, I book calls with strangers from around the world. Today we'll talk to Cameron, a powerlifter who's reshaping misconceptions, Will, a three-time leukemia survivor with a heart of gold, and Rachel, a creative who's using art and ecology to shine in the Pacific Northwest. But first, this week I put out a new video on the Blonde Radio YouTube channel, all about the power of listening, but I wanted to turn the question back to you. So, at Blonde Radio on Instagram, I gave you a prompt. How do you practice active listening? Here's what you had to say. Hiya, I'm Raphael. I'm from London, UK. I practice active listening by attempting to understand where what I hear is coming from rather than just putting words through my own lens. Everyone's outlook on life is pieced together over time by unique experiences and this means that despite what our default reactions or judgments may be to something that we hear, it's guaranteed that we will find something of individual value if we are willing to listen with the sole intention of understanding a new perspective rather than seeking to match it up to our current one. Hello, I'm Alan I'm calling from Argentina. The way I practice active listening is by not only listening closely to the other person, but I also deeply understand them. I get in their head. I try to understand how the thought process work. I put myself in the shoes and just see their point of view of everything. My name's Kat and I'm calling in from Germany. I practice active listening by asking questions, by making sure I understand what the other person is trying to tell me, not only the content and the facts, but also their emotions and the message in between the lines. Um, before I judge, I try to use less of my voice but more of my ears just being the listener allowing passes for the other person to add essential content hi my name is marco and i'm calling from calgary alberta and i practice active listening by asking the person what's something i could do to support them rather than do what i think is best for them thanks to everyone for submitting their responses and we'll hear more answers throughout today's show Hello. Hi. <laughs> Hi, nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you. How are you? So good. Yourself? Can't complain. Can't complain. Awesome. And then where are you calling from? I am calling from Virginia in the United States of America. Oh, shoot. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely assume probably in the States, but East Coast. Yeah, that's what's up. Yeah, that's I had to like actually Google uh, the time conversion from EST to PST <laughs> right. to make sure that I wasn't giving you like the wrong time. Oh, <laughs> uh, we made it work. Hell yeah. Um, we did. Cool. First off the bat. And it is Cameron, right? Yeah, that's right. Cameron, awesome. Yeah, just off the bat, give me the, the pitch on you, uh, who you are, what you do, and what got you to where you are today. 
I am a 21-year-old college student. I'm working on getting into my second bachelor's degree program. I have a bachelor's in history from Virginia Tech, and I recently made a big career 180, and I decided I wanted to go to nursing school. So I'm getting my prerequisites to apply to an accelerated program. I am also a competitive powerlifter, and I work as a medical assistant. I got into powerlifting my sophomore year of college, and it's something that you know I used as a method of you know, reimagining the way that I interacted with my body because I had a very traditional female fitness relationship in that I focused solely on my capacity to obtain a certain aesthetic, which led to me having a very, very poor relationship with, you know, nutrition and my overall body image. And powerlifting was a way for me to see my body as more of a machine. um, And it focused more on the things that I was capable of instead of my appeal to other people. Damn, I really like that. That's a really interesting and cool way to think about it. And was there a specific moment when you knew like powerlifting was for you or did it just like feel natural from the start? So I kind of came into it a little naturally. Both my parents are super big into fitness. I think I grew up doing the like the turbo jam, whatever it was, like the beach body program. Yeah. And my dad was a bodybuilder in the 90s. So like I grew up, you know, in a very gym oriented environment. But I actually stumbled into powerlifting on Instagram. There's a powerlifter. Her name is Meg Squats. And she posted something and I remember finding her on my like explore page and she had a body that was super similar to mine. And I was like, who is this girl and what does she do? Because you never see influencers who are built the way that I'm built. So I did some Instagram stalking and I found out what powerlifting was. And when I got back to school, I started going to the gym and, and training because I was like, oh, I'm going to compete. You know, I'm going to do this and that. I ended up making a couple friends at the gym who introduced me to the powerlifting group, all of the kids at my school who did compete and things like that. And they really took me in. Like we all got on really well, had super similar personalities. So they made my transition into being more of a strength athlete, something that felt really, really natural to me. Not only did I have, you know, a familial background, but now, you know, at school, I had a very strong group of friends who also our idea of hanging out was going to the gym and lifting, you know, and that's, that's awesome to have that on both fronts as far as like in the home and then outside like an extended community. I must have felt like pretty supportive. Yeah, it felt very, very natural to me. And Mm -hmm. it was easy to talk about with other people. Awesome. And so like living in this life where powerlifting is so prevalent and important in your life, what would you say are the most common misconceptions that you come across about powerlifting? A lot of them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. And being on Instagram too, like you get everything from the peanut gallery. A big misconception with like strength sports and women is that lifting is going to make you bulky, which I think is the most hilarious thing in the world. It's so hard to put on mass. And I think that anybody who's strength trained with the intention of gaining mass knows this. But there are a lot of women who are taught that, you know, if you lift heavy, like you're going to look like the Hulk or something, which just isn't true because you have to eat for it and you have to train for it. And that mass takes time to build. And I think that that scares away a lot of women from getting into strength sports when it's really like that's that's not even the truth. Like you're not going to get absolutely massive because you pick up a, a barbell once. <laughs> but I think that, you know, the, the misconception about women getting bulky with strength sports is something 
something that really can only be combated by exposure to Mm -hmm. women who are not absolutely massive because they can be in strength sports. Totally. Yeah. And if anything, like more and more, I'd say like over the years, I've seen like such a more diverse space that's been created as to like, like, I'm listen, I'm not old, but like when I was a kid, you know, you only really perceived strength sports like really being around men, unfortunately. Yeah, no, absolutely. I didn't even know powerlifting was a thing. I didn't start doing it until I was 19, almost 20. Mm hmm. Even though I grew up in the gym, pretty much, like it still wasn't a world that I was familiar with. Right. So I agree with that. Totally. And you were telling me about your school and like this one degree and now you're switching and you're pursuing something else. Like that just blew my mind because like, how is this person balancing work, their schooling, powerlifting? Like, how do you make it all work? Have you had to make sacrifices in any areas of your life or? Um, yeah, sacrifices. Yes. I don't sleep a lot, if I'm being (laughs) wholly honest. Uh But you know, to me, it's all worth it. Because they're all things that I I love. Like I love my job so much. I find it exceptionally rewarding and satisfying to help other people. And like, like I work in an urgent care clinic, you know, people come in and they're having like absolutely horrible days. If I can make them feel better by listening to their problems and making sure that they get the care that they need. So they walk out feeling better on the road to getting better. Like that makes me feel really, really good that I was able to play like a positive role in their day. Totally. Like my schooling's also exceptionally important to me because that's my gateway to the future. You know, mm-hmm. like I need to get these prerequisites done so I can apply for a second bachelor's. And so the way I kind of navigate it is I just I just take it step by step. Like I wake up and if I have work, then I go to work. And if I have to train after, then I go train. And then the rest of my free time goes to school. And then I don't go to sleep until it's all done. Right. I think that something that trips a lot of people up when they have busy schedules is thinking about the whole picture. And Instead of, you know, taking things one at a time, like I'm definitely guilty of this. If I think about like the 50,000 things that I have to do that day, I'm definitely prone to becoming overwhelmed. But there was a post I saw, and I can't remember if it was on Tumblr or Twitter. Someone was having a conversation with their daughter who said they wanted to be like an astronaut or something. And then the mom said, you know, it's a lot of school and you have to pass a test. And then you have to go through training. And then the girl was like, yeah, that's only three things. (laughs) <laughs> and it's like, are they more complex as individual things? Yeah, but ultimately she's right. It is only three things. Totally. So that's kind of how I like to approach my days. No, absolutely. Break them down into, I, I mean, we've all heard a thousand times, but it's like the small things of like, even me personally, if I start my day with like the smallest thing of like just making my bed and making sure I eat a good breakfast, that just like gets the ball rolling. And it's honestly going to improve your mental state with like tackling these bigger things so much. Agreed. It's like you have to take the the little victories of your day and be like, I checked off this box. Yeah. And even though it's like I made my bed, I'm like, you know, that's a check mark in that box. I'm happy. (laughs) Totally. Uh, Where does the drive come from? Why do you keep at it with everything that's on your plate at the moment? Because I love it. Mm -hmm. I love to push myself. I love to be the best version of me that I can be. I feel like I have a relatively nihilistic point of view when it comes to life like do I believe in an afterlife I think so yeah but you know if this is my only shot if this is my only chance at it you know I want to make it a good one Mm -hmm. and I think that by trying to embrace all of the opportunities that I am blessed and privileged to have you know like I, I, I want to do my best to do 
my opportunities justice because I would hate to be 80 sitting in some house, hopefully married with kids or whatever. <laughs> but and then think about the avenues that I never went down because I was too scared that I wouldn't have time or I was too scared that I wouldn't be good. So I do things very spontaneously, very frequently for mm-hmm. reasons unbeknownst to even myself. But my first tattoo that I got, I picked out a quote and then like 30 minutes later, I think I went and got it put on my body forever. <laughs> It says, still the risk must be run, the mark made. And it's a quote from a Virginia Woolf book called To the Lighthouse. In the context of the book, this woman is painting a portrait of a family, I believe. There's this big dilemma of, you know, once you start the painting, you kind of have to get it right. Otherwise, you've got to start all over. And so there's this internal dilemma of, you know, you've got to run the risk of screwing up the painting. Otherwise, you're never going to paint anything. And so that's kind of how I like to think about life is like, I've kind of got to run the risk that I'm going to be bad or that I'm going to fail or that, you know, things aren't going to work out perfectly if I ever want to reap the rewards of being good at something. So you kind of have to be willing to suck before you can be good. That's really beautiful. I appreciate that. And that's fully, I I stand beside that so much. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Cameron. Thank you for your for your time and your words and, and speaking your story. Um, in closing, I was wondering, what advice could you give to someone who's seeking to improve themselves, either physically or mentally? What would you say to them? I always tell people that when they want to start something and when they want to be better and to do better is that you just have to take that first step. Mm-hmm. A lot of people want to start perfect. They want to be like, what's the best way to start? And the answer is that there's really no best way. Um, In my experience, it's you start ugly, you start clumsy, you start without any sort of knowledge about what the future holds. And then you grow from there. You think, what do I want to be? What do I want to do? How can I improve? And maybe you come up with something that's like, drink a glass of water a day. Mm -hmm. You start there. Maybe it's not much, but it's something. And as time goes on, you add a little bit more to it eventually you end up in a place where you feel happy and satisfied and growth is something that comes naturally to you because you've gotten in a habit of growing. Damn, that's really beautiful. Backtracking to that idea of like, yeah, start small (laughs) and build that momentum. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining me, for sharing and speaking and taking the time out of your day. Of course, Um, I'll be in touch and I'll talk to you later. Sounds perfect. Have a great one. Ciao. Bye. Hi, um, I'm Laura. I'm calling from Los Angeles, California. I practice active listening by turning off all distractions. If I'm going to listen to someone and be there for them, I can't be on my phone, I can't be on my computer. I need to just fully be present in that moment. Hi, I'm Boris. I'm calling from Moscow. And the way I practice active listening is by talking to different people from different living environments. It helps me gain different perspectives on how people deal with problems, situations, and just life. When I'm listening to another person from another living environment, it helps me understand what they truly feel. Hello. Hello. Hey, how's it going? (laughs) Good. How are you? Awesome. I'm Brad. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Brad. I'm Will. Will. Awesome. I guess first off, like, where are you calling from? Uh, I'm calling from Indiana. Oh, sweet. Uh, okay. Midwest. Yeah. 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 Has that been home your entire life? 
Uh, no. So I was born and raised in Nebraska and then moved to Indiana my sophomore year of high school. I've been in Indiana ever since. I don't recommend moving in high school <laughs> to anybody out there, though, because that's just rough. <laughs> yeah, totally. Not an ideal transition time. Well, I think off the bat, I guess, sorry, give me the pitch on you. You know who you are, what you do, and what sort of got you to where you are today. Yeah. So yeah, my name is William Yank. I am a 23-year-old three-time leukemia survivor. As of today, I run a podcast. I work as an assistant to a real estate broker, and I do um, patient advocacy mm-hmm. for cancer, re-cancer research, do work with Leukemia Lymphoma Society, etc. And I am about nine months post stem cell transplant. So I'm still a bit on the road of recovery. My immune system's still pretty shot and low. So I'm very careful, especially during these times of COVID. I mean, other than that, I just kind of live my life, hang with friends, hang with my girlfriend, Amy, and just try to take each moment as it is, you know? Totally. Yeah. And like when you hear that three times leukemia survivor, that's just like, that's not something you hear too often. (laughs) (laughs) It is not. It is not. It was the most unexpected thing I've ever faced in my entire life. No signs of cancer in my family other than the women in my family having breast cancer. But obviously, that's a different story. So I was attending Wabash College in Crawfordsville, Indiana. And this was an all-male private school. I was someone who was super serious about grades, very focused on themselves. I ran track my first three years of college, and then I was the guy that woke up at 5 a.m. every day to do CrossFit. And, you know, my body was a temple. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I was sleeping, you know, on time. I scheduled out my entire days. I took, you know, your vitamins, your minerals. All I drank was water. Like, I, in the eyes of society, was doing everything right. Mm Mm-hmm. One summer, I get an internship opportunity out in Washington, D.C., and I'm like, I'm going to take it. Like, I'm, you know, I'm from the Midwest. I've been in Indiana, Nebraska. You know, this is a time for me to spread my wings and have some fun and explore. So start the summer, move out to D.C., you know, great coworkers, cool boss, you know, and all of a sudden my hands started to hurt. You know, as someone who lifted so much, I was like, you know, is this just a side effect of that? You know, is this from my exercise? Am I not eating enough? You know, I was looking up everything. And the last thing on my mind was worrying about my health. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I texted my mom and I said, hey, mom what do you know about, you know, hand pain and stuff like that? And she was like, I mean, if you want to get checked out, go to an urgent care. But if not, like, don't worry about it. And I was like, okay, (laughs) fine. I won't worry about it. You know, we're college students. We don't have like health insurance or anything. So I was just like, sure, let's, let's do it. And then slowly my birthday, my birthday is on June 12th. Nearing my birthday, my best friend comes out, hangs out with me. And he's also very into health and fitness. And we'd go on workouts or runs together. And I couldn't keep up at all. He's like, dude, are you okay? Like, you're just going to be dead tired. I was like, yeah, I think I'm just stressed out. You know, we kept putting it off, putting it off. Right after he left, I come down with like a super bad sore throat. I'm talking swollen throat, hard to swallow, hard to drink anything. Breathing was even a little difficult. Pop into urgent care. And they are like, dude, you got mono. Okay, what do I do about that? For those who have had it, you just lay in bed for a week pretty much and hope you heal. Tell my boss, he lets me chill for a week. I lay in bed and do my thing. During that course of that week, I continue to take care of myself, shower, eat. One night, I come out to the kitchen to get a bottle of water in my apartment, and my roommate's trying to talk to me. As we're kind of going back and forth, what he's saying is not making sense to what I'm saying. I'm, I think that I'm on some like Floridian vacation, and I'm trying to get this water out because I'm thirsty and hot, and the sun's bearing down on me. And he's like, dude, we're taking to the ER. And wow. I was like, uh, okay. And, you know, ships me over to the ER, Sibley Hospital, Washington, D.C., and they diagnosed me with leukemia. But not only 
coming on top of that was I had a staph infection. The staph infection was not like your normal staph that you maybe get through like a cut or something like that. That's like commonly known. It was something that was like inside. I don't know how I got it, whether it was touching something and then touching my eyes or face or mouth or something, but it pretty much went rampant in my body. My entire diagnosis was leukemia, staph infection, amorios fugax, which is when your eyes can't dilate, coagulopathy, which means your uh, blood will not coagulate, so you can't clot, cardiomyopathy, I had heart irregularities and my heart was struggling to keep blood to my vital organs. Oh, uh, acute kidney dysfunction, my kidneys were failing, and then uh, acute organ dysfunction, my organs were beginning to fail. And so they begin this rush to try to stabilize me because they had to get me and ship me to Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland. They throw me on a bed and they start just like getting me something to eat, drink, water, just medicine to stabilize my system so they can just make, you know, Mm -hmm. that ambulance ride to Baltimore. Once I got to Baltimore, I remember the ambulance ride, but once I got to Baltimore, my whole brain pretty much, I think, just shut it out. Mm -hmm. Like trauma was like at its peak. Pretty much for like a two to three week period, I was incoherent. They told my parents they weren't sure if I was going to live. My mom was making funeral arrangements for me. We get this all together, and then I somehow come out of it alive. Doctors and nurses just like pumped chemo. They pumped everything into my body. I went from nice, healthy 180 pounds to like 210, which is a 30-pound gain. And then I dropped down to 150 pounds after I lost all that. So just shredded my body. The staph infection was eating um, muscle tissue, nerves, and tendons from the inside out. I have pictures probably on my Instagram of these red splotches that were kind of like beginning to take hold of my body. And it was kind of kind of cool, I guess you could say, in a weird, <laughs> twisted way. It looked like I was getting like overtaken by something. I don't even know, like some zombie disease (laughs) or something like that. But yeah, that was the diagnosis story that was so crazy. But then got chemo, wasn't working. They gave me an immunotherapy called CAR T cell therapy, which is where they genetically modify your immune system's T cells to attack leukemia. Literally was like the sixth person I think ever to get it at Johns Hopkins. And Johns Hopkins is like, you know, world renowned hospital. Got that. It put me in remission for six months relapsed on June 2019 again. So this would be my second fight, right? Mm -hmm. Got CAR T cells again. It put me in remission for another two months and then relapsed again, was forced to get stem cell transplant or bone marrow. They're kind of interchangeable, but had some heart issues, got a pacemaker, and now I'm nine months out. A wild ride, but I live to tell the tale nonetheless. (laughs) Of course, of course. Thank (laughs) you for sharing. And yeah, I think I, I've read this a little bit on your Instagram as far as like seeing other people your age and maybe your classmates or your, your cohorts or whatever moving on with their life and their dreams and goals. But what's it like having your sort of aspirations interrupted by this complete wild card that you really have no control over? Oh, my gosh, man, it is. Listen, I'm 23 years old and watching your friends graduate college, move on with their lives. I know friends that are having children soon, you know, (laughs) like they're married, have children. I'm like, I still have a year of college left, you Mm -hmm. know, like I live with my parents. It's really hard not to get into that comparison trap of, you know, this is where I should be now. But I've really had to come to terms with, you know, talking to my therapist and things like that, that I'm on my own path and everybody is on their own path. Everyone's timing is different. Things will happen quicker for me than others. happen for you know I think that in reality I try to relish in the fact that the wisdom I've gained is vital and paramount to my life 
or as compared to, you know, people who haven't experienced something like this. So I think there's a, some pros and cons to it, but it is definitely difficult. My best friend, Zach, for example, he's a real estate broker. We were like, couldn't separate us uh, mm -hmm. my junior year of college. We were both on this path to success, you could say. And then he's just continued on and skyrocketed. Super proud of him. But I've just remained stagnant. And it's hard for me, right? I, I still yeah, support yeah. him and want what's best for him, of course. But, but Different path, yeah. So Now, and this is maybe a little dark, but like, was mortality something you thought about and considered before this experience? Or did it sort of culminate in this journey? Oh, no, it, it culminated in this journey for sure. Yeah. So my therapist has this thing called the mirage of superiority. We all have it. I even get it sometimes post-cancer, right? I face my mortality and I still get this sometimes. But it's the idea that we're invincible or we are above certain situations and things that happen to us. Right. So, you know, pre-cancer, my mirage was that I took such good care of my body that mm -hmm. there is no reason I should be able to get sick. I thought that I created a bubble shield around me to any sort of problem or issue with my health. Mm. And that was obviously <laughs> quickly turned around. <laughs> but um, facing my mortality was definitely one of the most difficult issues. And I think it's given me a lot of empathy. It's given me a lot of patience, a lot of understanding and compassion. I, I think an ability to feel in the most general sense of the word, just le legit feel. I'm very grateful for that because I know some people that still kind of live with the mirage of superiority or that, you know, they can do certain things or act a certain way when in reality, you know, that's, that's just a very poor reflection of their character. I try to pride myself on that now. Totally makes a lot yeah. of sense. And what was your support network like? Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> my, my, my support network, I was very, very fortunate. I know mm -hmm. and I've met with patients who have not gained the support that I have and it, it breaks my heart. But my family was there. Like the night that I was sick, like I said, my mom was, even though she had to make the crazy arrangements, they drove, her and my stepdad drove the 10 hours there. My dad got an immediate flight out to come see me. My friends from high school were making shirts and wristbands and trying to raise money. Oh, wow. uh, my best friend Zach started a GoFundMe to help pay for the medical costs. And like I, I overwhelming love that I felt. Uh, I remember being in my hospital bed one day and asking my mom, like, do I deserve this? Mm. Is this the impact that I've made? You know, have I been this good of a person that I deserve all of these people's love and support? And that was a that was a pretty hard thing for me to wrestle with because you know whether we're deserving or not it's i see it probably more as effect of trying to be humble with myself because the amount of people that reached out and cared for me was undeniable and like unbelievable but like i i must say though my biggest supporter i i, I don't even know how my mom did this but it was my mom she is the CEO of a business, took off work and worked from Baltimore for the past like year and a half, helping me every step of the way, was with me at almost all my appointments, wow. you know, there to talk with me through everything, still working, still grinding and still being successful in her business. And I was just like, whoa, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and that's that was like the craziest and probably most beautiful form of support that I got throughout the entire thing, for sure. That's awesome. That's great to hear. Yeah. What initially pushed you to inform and be so open about your cancer? I saw your, your WeGo Health bio and maybe chuckle a little bit with the sentence, 23-year-old uh, trying to make cancer cool. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, what inspired you to just share your story so wide? I think, yeah, just the ability to help others. Mm -hmm. And like I said, kind of make cancer cool. When I did the whole WeGo Health thing, that was the kind of thing that I pushed that 
when people get sick, you're going to notice something very, very crazy. The people that you thought you were really close friends with, they're probably going to disappear. They're not going to disappear because they don't like you. They're not going to disappear because your friendship's over. They're going to disappear because they don't know what to say. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. That is that is really okay. Experiencing that, you feel like you, not only are you losing your prior self, you're losing your friends. Like, even though, yes, I'm telling you, you know, Brad, that I have this huge support system. Mm -hmm. There are some of these friends that I thought I was best friends with at college that just like I didn't hear from. And I still haven't heard from again, oh, you wow. know, feeling that way. I was like, I don't want any other patient to be like that. And if there's a way that I can make cancer, quote unquote, cool, mm -hmm. it's something where people aren't afraid to talk to their friends and their people who get diagnosed. It's like, I understand it's a huge burden to carry. You're like you said, you're dealing with mortality, life or death, you know, sure. and you're not sure if that person's going to make it. It's just as hard for that person on the other end, you know, that is just hearing about the diagnosis of someone close to them. Just if I could make that to where cancer's cool, people are able to talk about it and not feel so taboo. Like, I think it might help a lot of people out. And I felt like that was the way that I could make the biggest impact. And that's what I've just tried to do since. That's really awesome. Yeah. I, and yeah. if by all means and purposes, it definitely looks like you're well on your way to achieving that, which is so yeah. cool. <laughs> really trying. So, and like I said, I have my own podcast. We talk about cancer. We talk about all things chronic illness and mm -hmm. everything. Like, you know, the nitty gritty down to like, celebrating stuff to what dating is like relationships. How do you do that when you have, you know, a port or a line stuck in your chest, you know, or like, how does that work, you know? And so it's, it's really fun to talk about that type of stuff and kind of clue the innocent or the lay into what goes on in our minds. We're still, you know, as young adults, we're still people that are want relationships. This is a time in our life where we should be exploring, you know, dating, having fun. Oh, for sure. And cancer can put a stop to that. So <laughs> totally. <yeah. laughs> That's awesome. Well, Will, I, I do want to I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to, to speak with me and share your story. In closing, I was wondering, what advice would you give to someone who, you know, wants to be supportive in their friends' hardships? But as you're saying, like, oftentimes they just can sort of disappear because they don't know what to say. What yeah. would you say to them? Yeah, I it's it's very simple. You don't really have to do much, folks. <laughs> you really don't. But if you do find someone along the line or along the way who gets diagnosed who's close to you, the best thing you can do is just reach out mm -hmm. in a small way. Mm -hmm. You don't have to make this grand gesture. It could just be a quick text or a direct message or send them something funny to lighten their day. You know, don't just send a, hey, you OK? You know, like and, yeah. and it might take a while for that person to respond. Don't don't expect the person who's diagnosed to be, you know, very readily available to want to talk and discuss everything. But either just reach out or if you do go and talk to them or you go and see them. Obviously, COVID makes that kind of shady. But mm -hmm. outside of that, talk about other things than cancer. I think the last thing that I wanted to kind of talk about was cancer. I wanted to hear about like my friends' lives, you know, yeah. what was going on outside the hospital bed. Yeah, that's probably what I would recommend. Yeah, reach beyond sort of like the initial hardship because like this is still a person. They still have their own challenges, you know. No. It, yeah, you have this yeah. huge challenge of cancer, but then there's also the huge challenge of life. <laughs> so No, exactly. And like even though we're <laughs> literally in a pit of hell, you know, and yeah. I, with this cancer diagnosis, Trust us, we want to hear about your shit just as much as you hear about ours. So just come in and chat. And like, like I said, you know, we can have the emotions and we can get them aside when you come in. But then let's put that aside and let's just talk about life and what's going on. And, you know, how was school that day? Or, mm -hmm. you know, what, what job are you getting into? Tell me about your family. What are they up to? And I think that's something that's small that anybody could do. For sure. 
totally great advice thank you yeah no problem thank you for having me on here yeah well well thank you again thank you so much for your words and your story and your wisdom no yeah thank you brad i appreciate it and keep doing what you're doing i mean you're changing lives and you don't even know this is such a cool idea i wish i would have thought of it but i'm proud that you are the host of this of course thank you that means a lot and we'll definitely be in touch yeah sounds good brad thank you so much sweet talk to you later ciao bye My name is Maple and I'm calling from Central Oregon. I think one of the best ways of practicing active listening is just to do it. There's a lot of people, especially around right now, that just need an active listening ear. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? Doing good. I'm Brad. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I'm Rachel. Awesome. How's your day going? It's going pretty well. I'm preparing for an art critique that I have tomorrow. (laughs) Oh, always a lot of nerves, I bet. Uh, Yeah, we have them quite often, so it gets better every time. Fair fair enough, fair enough. And um, you're calling from Washington, right? I am. Awesome. Pacific Northwest crew. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) I think just uh, off the bat, just, I guess, give me the pitch on you. Who are you? What do you do? And what got you to where you are today? Oh my gosh, that's uh, it's a big question. It's a big one. Yeah. Um, I'm Rachel. I am an artist and ecologist, I guess, by mm-hmm. by interest. I'm also a musician. Yeah, I was born and raised in the Bay Area in California, mm-hmm. and I now attend college at Western Washington University where I am getting my BFA in painting. For three years, I wanted to be a bio major, and then I graduated with a bio minor instead. And I've taken choir and done acapella throughout college. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a that's a very kind of diverse, but also focused. Like it's a very <laughs> art-centric, I get the vibe. Yeah. And when did you know, when did you realize like art was for you? Well, I've always done art and painted, but um, I think growing up, it was kind of not really both of my parents are computer mathematician people Mm -hmm. and it was never discouraged for me to become an artist i think that all came from my own head but after i failed selling molecular biology (laughs) and realized that i would rather spend my time painting that's when i decided i was doing a double major and that's when i decided to change my bio major to a minor Mm -hmm. interesting what would you say is like maybe the hardest part of being an artist? Um, so often, like, especially like, for example, Instagram accounts, whatever, we see the the finished product. We rarely see like the struggle to get there. What would you say has been the most difficult? Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, one of the hardest parts is kind of like my own internal thought processes. Oh, really? Because, yeah, because I think I have all of that. I don't know. It's kind of a duality because in some ways I'm like my biggest cheerleader like I have confidence in my own ability and I know my capabilities but at the same time it can really be a struggle to motivate myself especially during a pandemic and go to the studio and like create something totally I'm a big fan of making to-do lists yes and not really doing them (laughs) (laughs) they're so fun to make aren't they yeah totally but yeah even the intention of like having goals is probably helpful than not Yeah. And also, now that I think about it, one of the other struggles is um, the world that we exist in is sometimes not very accepting of 
art as a like a viable method of communicating. Mm-hmm. Like I paint a lot about conservation specifically of birds. And that's something that people are sometimes more open to hearing about like scientific articles. But then even then, so many people go about their day without really paying attention to the ecological processes around them. It takes a lot in this fast paced society to really step back and think about all of the things that are around you, which oh, sure. I like to do with my art. Yeah. And you like this really ties great into my next question, because, you know, as Pacific Northwest crew, uh, we are so blessed to live in such a beautiful space. Yeah. And this is something I think about. Do you think living in greenery and near the ocean provides a different perspective on the climate and our need to protect it versus, you know, someone that may not have those environments around them? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think it's really a privilege to be able to be surrounded by all of these things that I'm painting, being inspired by. Yeah, I think that obviously like development of cities and land is um, something that can blind us to being coexistent with nature, but I'm an optimist. I think it's possible, but it's really nice to be surrounded by that and inspired by that. Totally. And then, yeah, like from the artistic perspective, such a great benefit to have. I would not, um, I don't think be where I am if I wasn't on, I I live on Vancouver Island and and there's just like such rich scenery around here to film. Like it's, it's almost too easy. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And your work, you know, we're speaking to and what I really enjoy so much about is just the variety of subjects, you know, mostly nature, but again, like very diverse. How do you tackle new pieces or like new subjects that you've never attempted before? Is that scary? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I learned a lot in high school from my high school art teacher about drawing what you see and not what you know. And that's also really influenced how I go about the world because there's so many things that we don't really know all of the sides of. um, Mm -hmm. And it really pick something with like a fresh eye you have to look at it not as like a bird or a person's face you have to look at it as like the negative space how the negative space interacts with the object that you're drawing or painting and um Mm -hmm. how everything is kind of just composed of like shapes and colors and lines and it's hard to detach yourself from perceiving a thing your eye has been trained to perceive it right um really step back and be present Totally. Yeah. And a, a bit what you're speaking to, I'm curious, do you think art has played into your sense of empathy at all over the years, you know, seeing things from other perspectives? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Being in classes with people from all kinds of backgrounds has allowed me to see like everyone has something they want to talk about. Like everyone mm-hmm. has something that's really valuable to say. Being surrounded by other artists who communicate that in an infinite number of ways is really inspiring. And it reminds me that like the way that I see the world is just that it's not the way that other people see the world. And as an artist, I can communicate that to them as best I can, Mm -hmm. but everyone's going to take away something different from a painting or any kind of communication. I think that's awesome. (laughs) It's very cool. It's something I do really appreciate about art. Uh, Rachel, I do want to thank you for taking time out of your day to speak with me. But in closing, I was wondering what advice would you give to someone who's struggling to find inspiration in their work? I, I mean, I look at your, your stuff. I'm like, this is all over the place. Like, you know, it's focused, <laughs> but you have so much going on. Uh, what would you give to someone who's struggling with that block? Oh, my gosh. Um, some advice that I've gotten is, I mean, and I struggle with this, too. I think mm-hmm. um, it's nice to know that, like, people who are, like, way ahead of you in their career path or their life path um, 
also have struggles. Um, I've had a college professor who said, I've made way more bad paintings than any of you. <laughs> She's a professional artist, which I think is very reassuring because you kind of just have to chase what really inspires you. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously that comes with like a whole set of like, do you have the resources and materials and privilege to be able to even pursue that? And I think as we like learn from art and strive to be more empathetic and to understand that everyone is coming from a different place, um, we can try to be inspired by what's around us and really just realize that we're all kind of trying our best here. We really are. Uh, and it takes a lot of practice and learning. I think something that's really important is just to like be forgiving to yourself mm -hmm. um, because that's something that we don't really do super often. It's an important skill to, to learn. Yeah. Go easy on yourself. You don't have to do yeah. it all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, true. Awesome. Well, Rachel, thank you again. Thank you for sharing your words and your story and, and being so of open. Course. Thank you so much. Of course. We'll be in touch. I'll talk to you soon. Great. Awesome. Ciao. Bye-bye. Special thanks to Cameron, Will, and Rachel for making this episode possible, as well as everyone who submitted a response to the prompt. Intro music provided by Wafee, that's W-A-Y-F-I-E, and accompanying tracks by Low Boil, that's L-O-B-O-I-L, who can both be found on all major streaming platforms. I'll see you soon, and thanks for tuning in to Blonde Radio.